0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA.
2: And a very good afternoon to you. Glad to be part of the show this afternoon. There is some serious rain about, and it's really holding up the grain harvest in parts of WA's agricultural region. If we take a look at the figures up until 9 o'clock this morning, Mount Barker, 44 mils in the gauge. Holt Rock, 42. That's just near Hayden and Barley. I mean, it's not great for those harvesting because of, you know, concern around quality issues. But I imagine if you are running some sheep, it's most welcome in terms of getting some feed for those sheep over the next few months. After half past 12 today, we'll catch up with Mark Adams and see what he thinks of the 30 mills falling on his farm at South Stirlings in the Great Southern. And it would be great to hear from you too. If you've had some rain, what does it mean for you? The text 044892268. Put your name on it. Tell us where you are. Let me know the rain story and what it means to you. 0448 922604 Six past 12. A WA Wheatbelt farmer says the Pacific Seeds Garrison canola variety has underperformed this season. In fact, he's recorded a 21% mortality rate, which he believes is unacceptable and he wants compensation. John Snook farms just southwest of Cunderdon, 160 kilometres northeast of Perth. He says Pacific Seeds, via its entity Advanta Seeds, did offer a refund for the cost of the seed, around about $21,000. But John says that's not good enough. He wants the company to recognise and compensate for the loss of potential canola production which in this case adds up to around $73,000. John, how would you describe the performance of this canola this season?
3: Uh, The performance of the Garrison XC canola seed has been poor, Belinda. We applied the first Roundup spray and had a 21% mortality. So that, that wasn't a good start for the variety, but thereafter, the ones that survived displayed very poor vigour and the end yield result has been very disappointing.
2: Just to be clear, what is the exact name of the seed we're talking about?
3: Uh, It's Garrison XC. It is a dual tolerance, herbicide tolerant canola, I suppose. It's Roundup Ready tolerant, but also tolerant to Clearfield or Imi sprays.
2: And what is the seed meant to deliver? What does it promise?
3: Uh, It's a high yielding package and it also offers the ability to tolerate the imi herbicide residue, which is the reason we grew it. So it was the first time we'd ever chosen a dual tolerant canola. Uh, It has been promoted by the company as a canola to fit this purpose. So we jumped on board with our agronomist advice But we've been completely let down, Belinda, because the seed just wasn't fit for purpose.
2: And you said earlier that you've suffered losses of 21%. I mean, you've been in this business a while now. How does that compare? Because, I mean, you you know, from season to season, you might expect to see some sort of yield losses.
3: That's correct. Different varieties perform differently in different seasons. As farmers, we're always weighing up that and we recognise that but this is such uh, poor performing canola. So it, we are really disappointed and we're, we're disappointed in the company it just doesn't seem to want to deal with the issue.
2: When did you first become concerned about the seeds performance?
3: It was my agronomist who was uh, doing the rounds of my canola crops after the first roundup spray. So that was late May and my agronomist was straight onto it. He rang me from the paddock I was busily seeding the rest of the program and he just said, John, we've we've got a problem here. We've, we've got some extensive mortality in the Garrison variety.
2: And when did you raise those concerns with the company?
3: My agronomist went to the company on, on behalf of me and he had other growers affected as well. So it was very, very early in the piece.
2: And what did the companies say? What was the response from the company when it was raised with them that that looks like that, you know, they're seeing these sort of losses in the field?
3: I had no response from the company, disappointingly. Before Harvest, I wanted the issue cleared up. As best we could, I reached out to them and they were actually honest. They said, John, we've got nothing to offer you. I'm sorry. Uh, You're going to have to go down your pathway you need to for your business, which." I have done since, and I've lodged a complaint with the Department of Consumer Protection, and they've been fantastic. And interestingly, once that complaint was lodged, I received a call from the company. But that was sort of more a smooth over sort of tactics, just a a communication strategy they have employed. And they said, John, whenever you're ready to talk further about the issue, give us a buzz. So I considered our position. And... Called them back and I did an economic analysis on our production loss, but they're not interested, Belinda, in production loss. They're only interested in refunding the cost of the seed and forcing growers to sign a non disclosure agreement.
2: So that was the offer. What did you take?
3: I haven't taken anything, Belinda. I'm not comfortable with a refund of the seed because the issue is about production and the loss of production. We buy canola seed with an expectation that it will meet the national variety trial data, and this variety is so far below that.
2: What did you see? What were your observations in the field with this canola seed?
3: Well, it was mortality of the young canola that was very, very evident, but also the lack of response to crop husbandry around fertilisers. It just didn't respond like the other varieties. Plus, we witnessed in the, in the hot spells that we've had during the spring that the, the flowers just fell off the garrison. It sort of threw in the towel, Belinda, relative to other varieties alongside, which did a remarkable job in difficult conditions to get a, a good yield. This, this variety is just poor. So they must have known that. I, I just can't see how a, a big corporate canola breeding company would not know if they didn't know, how do we trust them going forward?
2: Why do you think they would release a seed knowing that it was defective?
3: I can only assume that they invested They invest so much in the bulk up and plant breeding of good canola varieties, and I respect that. So they've got a sunk cost into this variety, and if they were to not release it, there's big losses there, Blender, for them. And I just don't think a, a big company is going to easily want to just put that bulk up aside and not sell it. So they've they've put the loss or their defective seed cost onto the grower. And they've kicked the can down the road and they've been caught out.
2: But isn't there also a risk that someone like yourself, John, will step forward and tell others about it? And then they've got the risk of, you know, possible compensation, not only for the seed, but potential yield losses?
3: There's no doubt now. They've incurred a lot of damage. Everyone who is a grower of Garrison is talking about it. They're doing their best to sweep this under the carpet. They're ringing the growers they know that have been affected and offering this refund of the cost of seed and getting non-disclosure agreements signed. So they're trying to sort of, as it bobs up, they're trying to push it back down. But I think now it's, it's really out there and that's what i wanted to do today I, I i just think about the farmer sitting on his harvester scratching his head why this variety is so poor and he may just have said well it's a poor variety i won't grow it again but there's other reasons and i think we need to shine light on these issues because farmers are investing hard-earned money into these varieties with an expectation of good production And we've been misled on this one.
2: This is the Country Hour on the ABC WA and on the ABC Listen app, 14 past 12. And today, John Snook, who's a farmer from Cunderdon, is here. And he says the Pacific Seeds Garrison canola variety has underperformed this season. In fact, at his place, he's recorded a 21% mortality rate. Which he believes is unacceptable and he wants compensation. Curious to know what your experience with the Garrison variety has been this season or any other seed for that means the text 0448922604. This text just through saying, we spent a lot more on garrison canola seed. If they compensate one, we should all get compensation. We have only been offered a discount on seed next year. Tell me your story on the text 0448922604. John, what does a 21% mortality rate actually mean?
3: That means... Of the canola seed that germinated in the paddy, after the first glyphosate spray, 21% of those germinated plants died.
2: So you sprayed it trying to get rid of the weeds, but it's actually killed the canola, some of it.
3: Uh, That is correct.
2: So you're at 21% mortality rate. What have you heard from other growers? Is it a similar story in terms of that mortality rate?
3: Uh, very much so. The ones that have been affected and have sent their seed off for independent testing have in- even incurred a higher rate of mortality. I'm possibly at the lower end.
2: I think you said earlier, John, that you are going to get back the, the the cost of your seed. Is that is that the deal that's been done with the company?
3: Oh, I haven't done a deal. And I'm not really intending on doing the deal because On their terms, they want to refund the cost of the seed. But to me, it's not about a refund for the seed. They've got to recognise the production loss, which is more a compensation issue than a refund of the seed. I I don't want my seed refunded. I want the company to recognise that they've caused intentionally, by their poor due diligence, a massive production loss for this variety on my farm. So I don't intend on accepting a refund or signing an NDA that that rats me up into silence over the scraps of a refund.
2: And if if it was a, a more accurate compensation package that was on the table, what would that what would that look like?
3: Well, I'm estimating, and now that I've got the well, I'm actually not estimating. It's real world data that shows that I'm half a ton to the hectare down by growing. Garrison Canola from Advanta this year relative to other similar varieties of their competitors, which I've got side by side on similar country, on sim- similar rainfall. So it's, it's very clear cut in my mind that we're looking for me around about a half a tonne per hectare production loss.
2: And what does that add up to?
3: My economic analysis, and I've only got a small amount of Garrison Canola in this year, but it was a 70, around about a $73,000 economic loss.
2: And if they were talking a compensation in that ballpark, you'd be more interested?
3: Belinda, there's got to be a recognition that they got it really wrong. And if they had have done this in a principled, ethical manner, we as an industry could have solved this quietly behind the scenes. And yes, they do need to recognise there's a production loss. So it is about compensation. So we've first of all got to get to that point before we start talking, uh, you know, where a figure might land. But the data is suggesting that growers are incurring a a huge loss. The WA Grains industry has provided these companies the opportunity to come in and make very good profits by selling canola seed to growers. We've got an innovative sector. We've got farmers willing to take uh, risk every year by growing canola. It, it is one of the more riskier crops. So they've done very well out of us, Belinda. And then when I, when I keep adding it up, I can only conclude that they have released dis, um, defective seed onto the market when, when really they could have solved this earlier. They could continue on. Clearly, they've got good varieties coming through the pipeline and and they could solve it. And, you know, their journey is going to be long in WA with the many opportunities to make profits. So I, I really question their tactics.
2: What would you like to see happen from this point?
3: I would actually like to see the company put out some communication calling for every grower that has experienced poor yields from their garrison variety to come forward and we discuss compensation. And Belinda, most farmers, if they did that, would see the integrity and the genuine nature of the company to solve the problem. But if they're just going to keep picking growers off, forcing them into an NDA, and offering a refund on the seed as it, then I think this issue is going to go down another pathway.
2: John, really good to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Belinda. John Snook farming at Cunderdon and concerned about the performance of the Pacific Seeds canola variety garrison this season. I did request an interview with the company to address the concerns that John has raised today and I was told no one was available. Although I was told to pass on this message from Advanta Seeds Managing Director Andrew Short Andrew Short says, Pacific Seeds have a well-defined process for addressing product complaints. We value our customers and take all complaints seriously. We are committed to working with individual growers to resolve any complaints and to ensure our relationships with them remain strong. 21 past 12. On the text, Mitch in Wickapun says, very similar experience to John in regards to Garrison XC Canola. Uh, This too, Brad from Nuangarup says, The Great Southern has a lot of 4520p canola that is full of off-types. And this company doesn't seem to want to come up with a solution either. Another text saying Pacific Seeds Battalion variety has also been affected. And Tyson saying, We're lucky we had two neighbours grow garrison last year. Unfortunately for them, it went very poorly. So luckily I could cancel our order before putting any in the ground. Very annoyed about a BASF variety this year with a huge amount of off types. We pay big money for hybrid canola seed, so we expect better. The text is 0448922604. 22 past 12. Mark Fowler is president of WA Farmers Grains and a grain grower from Williams and Harris Smith. Mark, how widespread are the concerns about Garrison Canola this season?
4: I've heard from a number of our members that have observed a similar situation with that variety and in some instances of the, the seedling mortality being in excess of 21% and you know, even as much as
2: 50%. And what do you make of the response from the company, which I've just read?
4: I think it's disappointing. The, the loss for growers from this situation is at three levels. Firstly, the, the, this is expensive seed. The most expensive seed. It's fifty odd dollars a kilo for the double stacked tolerances um, in this seed. It's a very expensive uh, seed to buy in, a, in an expensive input year. So there's the cost of the seed that hasn't performed or been fit for purpose, which which the, the grower has borne. The next tier is the the weed legacy that can result from this situation, where you don't have adequate plant numbers. Weeds go nuts and as a result of that, the weed numbers that might be in the rotation can be a multi-year cost. The third level is, is is the main one and the biggest one, and that is the the lost production that was quite rightly expected to occur by comparison with other varieties. As I said, it's been an expensive input year. It's an expensive crop to grow. The lack of production that's resulted as a result of this, in many cases, could have led to a not just a sub-profitable suboptimal profitable profit outcome but a loss making scenario in some cases so that is that is the really big one and and uh, product liability for these companies is something that they know exists if something is not fit for purposes they will have insurance for it so we do expect that for a product that has a very clear description a very clear uh, herbicide tolerance that hasn't met that specification is not fit for purpose and there is a product liability that goes with that growers quite rightly can expect to have some measure of compensation if the seedling mortality is 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 as great as people have suggested it's certainly beyond what people would reasonably expect
2: okay so that is reasonable to expect compensation for that potential production losses not just the refund of the seed which seems to be on the table yes is it possible that the company or any company could release a seed knowing that it was defective?
4: I can't really comment on the extent of knowledge that the companies have had, or the company in this particular case. We do understand that it's a difficult situation. There was a lot of rain in the Eastern States last year. There were a lot of crop production issues that were in growing that hybrid seed. For growers that have already in the previous year applied any herbicides to their paddocks, there are a few options. You have to have a crop that could tolerate the, the any chemistry residues that exist. And for those that have group B resistance and atrazine resistance in their radish, an XC canola is, is really the only option. So there would have been a lot of pressure brought to bear on the suppliers of that seed to produce that seed in a difficult environment. So we make no comment really at this stage about how the situation developed. We can understand how it's happened. I do understand that a lot of the seed companies put a red line through a significant proportion of their seed as it was which put even more pressure on supply so we can see how the situation' developed but and and there's also not very much time for that seed to be tested from the time it's produced to the time that it's supplied it, 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 we, we've often complained that the seed is arriving too late as it is so what our comment in this instance is about is how the companies have or the company has responded to this situation I think there's a very clear, uh, example of a product not being fit for purpose and the and in the, in the company in a, in, in, a, in the commercial world needs to stand beside their product. They have insurance for it to go to growers and pick them off if that's what's happened. That's definitely not what we would see as being reasonable in the circumstances. It would be far better, as John has suggested, that, 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 that growers are made aware of the situation, their rights in this circumstance and it doesn't depend on the grower knowing about it for that liability to exist. If a product isn't fit for purpose, then whether the company knew about it in advance or not, they have a they have a, an exposure to make good the losses that have occurred as a result of a product not being fit for purpose.
2: So what do you suggest to growers who might find themselves in this situation?
4: Well, I think they should, I, I would suggest our members give us a call to explain, you know, put them in, head them in the right direction. But growers can quite reasonably expect compensation for their lost, produ- lost production in this circumstance. You um, know,
2: do you know some growers who've received compensation?
4: I probably wouldn't like to comment on that at this stage, but growers have growers have a. a it seems like a, a, a very strong argument from what I've learned to to seek compensation in this space, and they should speak to the supplier in the first instance, their reseller, and hopefully the the, the company um, is. Um, understanding have a have a proper, rigorous discussion. If, if, for some growers that might have grown thousands of hectares, the, the loss figure could be a seven-figure sum. So, they, if, if if there isn't an accommodation in this space, then many growers doubtless won't have any option but to seek, uh, you know, a legal remedy in this space. And we hope it doesn't come to that. For the seed companies involved, obviously, reputation is important. As John pointed out in his interview, the West Australian canola market has grown rapidly. It will continue to grow rapidly because the prospects for canola are very strong in the next, next five or so years. So we would hope that seed companies are understanding in this space. This is a normal commercial reality. This is a product, sounds like very clear cut example of a product liability issue that needs to be resolved. And that necessarily involves a measure of compensation where there have been significant and clear
2: production losses. Mark, good to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, it. Mark Fowler, President of the WA Farmers Grain Section. 28 past 12, a couple of texts just before the headlines. This from Nick in Wongan Hills, who's had a 23% mortality rate of the young plants, up to 450 kilograms loss per hectare compared to other varieties. Seed refund is a long way away from what it has cost us not including ongoing agronomic costs such as weeds, etc. Very disappointed with Pacific Seeds. I will not be using their seed again if this is the way they support their product. Uh, this from Angus in Cunderdon, I completely agree with John, having major dramas myself, and might have to stop growing garrison until they fix the issues. And then this from Todd in Tammon. Hi, Belinda, was pretty happy with our garrison. Upwards of two tonnes to the hectare. Good to hear that, Todd. Uh, good to hear your side of the story too, your experience one way or another. Let me know on the text 0448 29 past 12 and Jonathan Beale is here with an update from the newsroom. Hello.
0: Hello, Belinda. The Premier has expressed frustration that 32 detainees have been released from immigration detention in WA, including four people with a history of family violence. Last week, the High Court ruled indefinite detention unlawful, prompting the release of 80 detainees nationwide. Roger Cook says most of the detainees released from Yonga Hill and Perth Immigration Detention Centre will return to the eastern states. It's been revealed a broom man facing 17 indecent assault charges and who did not appear in court yesterday, is currently in the US. Stuart Patrick Birchall has pleaded not guilty to 13 charges of unlawful and indecent assault and is yet to enter pleas on four counts of the same charge. The court heard Mr Birchall was expected to appear on Monday, but his bail will continue until his hearing next month. And Hamas says it's prepared to exchange Israeli hostages for a ceasefire. Israel is continuing its ground offensive into northern Gaza and encircling the city's largest hospital, Al Shifa, the World Health Organization says the hospital is almost certain is a is almost a cemetery. But Israel says Hamas is using tunnels underneath the facility as a command centre.
2: Morning, it's Belinda at one. Jonathan, thank you for that update. Twenty nine to one. You're with
5: Belinda Varischetti
2: on the Country Hour on ABC Local
5: Radio WA.
2: Uh, just another text through on the conversation we've just had catching up with John Snook from uh, just southwest of Cundidon and telling you the story that the Pacific Seeds Garrison canola variety has underperformed this season at his place. He's recorded a 21% mortality rate which he believes is unacceptable and he wants compensation. This from James in York. We also have the same issue, Belinda, and was insulted with communications from Pacific Seeds in response. It wasn't until we spoke with the ACCC they came back and were willing to talk to us. Very disappointing in the arrogance of this company towards their customers, says James in York. The text 0448 604. 29 to 1 here on the Country Hour and shortly talking about the rain that's been falling in some parts of the agricultural regions in WA. Great if you want to have some more feed growing at your place for your livestock, but not so great if you're right in the middle of harvest. We'll take a closer look at that shortly. First off to the Bureau of Meteorology to catch up with Bob Tarr. What is the situation around the Southwest Land Division, Bob? (coughs) How much rain is falling at the moment?
6: Uh yeah so there was some fairly heavy rainfall in some areas so uh overnight uh through the uh far eastern part of the great southern we had uh 42 mils at Holt Rock uh 30 mils at Lake King and then another area where we saw some pretty heavy rainfall was down uh through the great southern so uh 38 mils at uh, Franklin River, 44 at Mount Barker, uh, about 33 at, or 32, 33 at um, Denmark. And then uh, also some storms moved through uh, Balling Up Bridgetown area overnight. So 44 at Bridgetown, 42 at Balling Up. So those are some of the higher amounts. Uh, so there were some areas that didn't really see uh, all that much rainfall, but it was fairly wide, uh, widespread rainfall, at least through the south coastal districts and eastern parts of the uh, Wheat Belt. Uh, during the day. uh, Probably a lot of that fell overnight into this morning. We uh, still have uh, some thunderstorms uh, with a severe thunderstorm uh, warning in effect for parts of the uh, Esperance region. Uh, Those are starting to contract off the coast, so that warning uh, may be discontinued uh, in the next few hours. But uh, we are expecting uh, another area of thunderstorms to develop potentially uh, over the uh, over the Scarp to the east of Perth and then uh, moving eastward through the Wheat belt. It's fairly okay. unstable through that region, but there's not much of a trigger for storms to develop. So we'll see how it plays out. But uh, if storms are d- able to develop through there, we could have the risk of um, some heavy rainfall uh, and also uh, damaging winds and large hail uh, if those are able to eventuate later today. Um, As we go into tomorrow, uh, a lot of this weather is going to start to move away to the east, so uh, still a chance of some um, pretty decent rainfall around the Esperance region as we go through the overnight period and into tomorrow morning, and then uh, we'll just be left with some uh, onshore showers uh, in behind that, so it becomes a lot more uh, stable weather pattern through the south coastal regions uh, into a later part of tomorrow. So uh, fairly light falls uh, for most areas. But again, around the uh, Esperance region and adjacent inland parts could see uh, anywhere from about three to, at at a high end if there's a thunderstorm, maybe about 15 mils uh, during the day tomorrow before a lot of that contracts away. Uh, And then uh, once we get beyond, then we're going to have a fairly strong ridge developing through southern parts of the state. uh, And that means uh, plenty of easterly winds. So it'll start off uh, cooler than normal through much of uh, the central and eastern part of the Southwest Land Division, uh, with, again, some light showers about the uh, south coast, mainly to the east of Albany uh, for Thursday and Friday. Uh, and then most of the shower activity along the south coast will be dying out as we go into the weekend and um, slight chance of showers uh, about coastal parts uh, over the south coast early next week. But uh, all in all, uh, we're just looking at a very persistent easterly flow. So pretty close to normal down along the south coast or maybe slightly. Slightly cooler than normal from about Albany on eastward as we go through the weekend into the early part of next week. But down the west coast, we'll have a a trough developing. And so that's going to mean warming temperatures. So by the time we get into Sunday, Monday, down in the southwest corner, we expect to be anywhere from about uh, five to nine degrees above normal. So some pretty warm weather coming into the uh, southwest of the state. And also through the northern parts of the region um, along the west coast, it'll be warmer than normal. There's still going to be a trough line back through the Midwest, so uh, around the uh, northern part of the wheat belt in the Midwest tomorrow. Uh, and again, on Thursday, there's a chance of thunderstorms, but uh, we won't see anything like the heavier rainfalls that we've seen uh, in recent days. And those, uh, the slight chance of storms will likely last into Friday and Saturday, uh, potentially even Sunday, but a lot of time will be dry. So uh, while there is a chance of storms, we're looking at lower probability event than what we've seen uh, over the last couple of days and, and lighter rainfall associated with that as well.
2: And then any storms about in northern and eastern parts, Bob?
6: Yeah, so we have some thunderstorms bubbling up right now through the interior. Um, not expecting any of that to become severe today, but uh, some of that severe thunderstorm uh, activity that we've seen through the uh, through the Esperance region today and potentially through the Wheatbelt today is going to be moving into uh, the interior for tomorrow. So to the east of um, Cal tomorrow. Uh, so eastern gold fields out through the interior, potential for uh, damaging winds, heavy rainfall, and some hail. Uh, and then that uh, really migrates into far eastern parts of the state. So if there's any severe weather on Thursday and Friday, it'd be uh, pretty close to the uh, border of uh, the NT in South Australia. Um, yeah, you know, And we'll see showers and thunderstorms continue through the interior uh, right through the weekend. Uh, northern parts of the state, uh, we have dry weather across the Pilbara. It's actually been milder than normal uh, through much of the region, especially over the uh, western and northern parts of the region. And that'll continue right through to about Friday or Saturday, and then we'll start to warm up, especially over inland parts, uh, and then warming up over the northwest as we go into early next week. Uh, no, fall, no rainfall expected for the Pilbara across the next several days. Uh, in the Kimberley, we have seasonal showers and thunderstorms uh, over the next few days, but a lot of that is going to be uh, trending on an easing trend. So by the time we get to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, most of that will be over uh, far northern and eastern parts and will be fairly sparse. And then we may see uh, an increase as we go out towards uh, maybe about Tuesday or Wednesday of next week, We start to get a little bit more moisture from the northern territory and the Easterly flow. So we could see a little bit of an increase across the region and an increase in um, thunderstorm coverage over uh, western parts of the Kimberley as well.
2: And then this afternoon, Bob, any warnings?
6: Yeah, so we have that severe thunderstorm warning for parts of the southeast coastal district, uh, and then uh, just some uh, marine warnings uh, around the Bumbary, Geograph Coast, uh, Lewin Coast uh, today, uh, and Euclid Coast, and then uh, a whole stack tomorrow, mainly from around um, the Geraldton Coast right around to the Euclid Coast. Uh, And we'll be keeping an eye on the the need for a warning around the uh, Perth Hills and the Wheatbelt this afternoon.
2: Thanks a lot, Bob. Appreciate that. 22 to 1. Taking a look now at the rainfall figures with Richard Hudson. Yeah, in the northern
7: and eastern forecast districts, the only real action is in the Kimberley. Uh, Gib River had 7 mills, Halls Creek, 6. Columbaroo, 16. Kingston Rest, 5. Kununurra at the checkpoint had 8 mills, but at the Deeperd Station, 47. Mullabulla Airstrip and Parry Creek Farm had 6 mills. Troughton Island, 16, Truscott, 5, Winjana Gorge, 30, and Wyndham Recorded, 17. No rainfall at all for the Pilbara, Gascoigne, Interior Districts. In the Goldfields, Laverton topped it with two. Nothing in the Eucla, nothing out on the islands, but it was patchy in the Southwest Land Division Forecast Districts. In the Central West, not much at all. Three Springs topped it with three as it would. In the lower west, uh, Araluan, six mils over three days. Um, Millenden, uh, Tamala Park and Wanneroo all recorded five and Whiteman Park recorded eight. And then in the southwest, there was a few storms. Bailing up, 42. Bridgetown topped it along with uh, Mount Barker with 44 mils. Donnybrook recorded 28, but to give you an idea as to how hit and miss it was, at the Deephead Station at Donnybrook, they only recorded one mill, and then at Donnybrook East, they recorded eight. So, all over the place. In Manjimup, 16 to 23 across two locations. Main up South seven, Mile up five, Newlands 20, Northcliff five, Ravenscliff Fellert Station eight, Shannon five, Som Creek 38. Thomsonbrook eight, Tonebridge ten, Walpole Forestry twelve, Wilgarup thirty-four, and Yanmar five. In the southern coastal region, Albany had between eighteen and twenty-eight, Chillin up seven, Denbarker twenty-seven, Noangar up six, King River eleven, Many Peaks and Metler recorded seven. As I mentioned, Mount Barker had a fair bit with forty-four, Munglin up west six, Nalulup up eleven, uh, Ravensthorpe six, Stirlings North had eight, Stirling South had 29 is the official figure, but uh, shortly you'll hear from uh, another farmer there who had even more than 30 mils, uh, Tamar eight, Tolina Downs 17 and Wellstead recorded five. In the central wheat belt, Ardeth seven, Babikin five, Belka East recorded six, Grable 13 over two days. Mount Walker twenty two, Narambeen seven, and then in the southern, uh, the Great Southern region, Burleigh six, Boscobel, nine, Chaming up seven, Cherry Tree sixteen, Cranham fourteen, Franklin twenty one, Holt Rock forty two out at Holt Rock, Hyden uh, eleven, Katanning recorded seven, Lake Grace five, Lake King thirty, so a bit of rain out that way, Mordetta five, Mount Madden East ten. And Riverdale recorded 28 and Tunney 32. So it was all over the place. But as I mentioned, uh, Mark Adams farms at South Stirling's in WA's Great Southern Region. So you're talking about 80 kilometres northeast of Albany. And it sounds like they've been forced to park their harvesting machines for a while.
5: Um, well, right now it's raining. You can probably hear it on the, on the tin roof. It's uh, Tuesday morning and we managed to harvest until the sun- Sunday afternoon when it started to spit with rain um, and yesterday Monday um, we couldn't do anything we had about five millimetres and then overnight and early this morning we've had a follow-up of about 33 millimetres so um, yeah we're very wet now.
8: And what has that amount of rain meant for you right now?
5: Well what it's done is it's um, put a halt on the harvest obviously um, but more, more uh, seriously is that it's probably starting to do a bit of damage to our cereals that are not harvested yet and um, particularly the wheat, if it stays wet for too long um, we'll get sprouting in our wheat and so we'll get downgrading in our quality of our wheat Um, and potentially with our barley we may go from a malt barley down to a feed grade due to um, staining um, on the barley, germ end staining and um, possible germination if it stays wet for too long. Barley's a bit more resilient resilient to rain than wheat. Wheat stays wet for too long. Once it's sprouted, it suffers serious um, financial discounts.
8: Are you anticipating that?
5: Oh, we're we're, we're always optimists. Um, <laughs> it's quite quite early in the in the season for wheat. Our wheat's sort of only just maturing, um, and, and so it's not ready to harvest yet. So there, there's a there's a reasonable possibility that there won't be much sprouting in the wheat because of the fact that it's not completely mature.
8: Mm. And when you talk about financial losses, how much are we talking?
5: Oh, it's probably a bit early at this stage to say, but yeah, run into the many hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially.
8: Mm. So, when do you think you're going to be able to get back harvesting?
5: Um, well, if you could tell me when the rain's going to stop, that would be that'll be useful. But um, it'll probably be you know two to three days post the rain stopping. Um, hopefully, it stops today, and we might get a, a, a reasonable bit of sunshine tomorrow. But there is um a bit of rain forecast later on in the week so i don't know when we, we when we'll get back in the seats of the harvesters again um, we've been fortunate enough that um, we have had quite an early start to harvest in respect that we've got probably half of our program harvested now all of our canolas all but finished harvesting and um, so in terms of our progression through the harvest uh, we we are quite advanced in the progression through our harvest but in saying that, you know, it um, can still be a long time to finish the cereal program if this rain hangs around.
8: How are you feeling right now? I mean, there was really bugger all spring rain until this point. Did you need this front? <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, gee, it's farming all over um, and we get used to it. And the older you are, the more you get used to it. But, you know, we, we, we started off with a, with, a, with a reasonable sort of start in April and, and we are all pretty positive and got most of our canola in with... Um, with reasonable moisture and got it out of the ground through that eight, early April period, um, and it virtually stopped raining at the, sort of the middle of April, and we had nearly our driest uh, May on record. So things got really dry through May to the point where we couldn't get crops to germinate, and we pulled up seeding. And we thought, oh, gee, I wish it had rained. I wish it had rained. Wish it had rained. About the twenty-eighth of May, it started raining, and I don't think it stopped until about the middle of July. So. We started seeding just before, prior to the rain coming in, in June um, to f- complete our program, and, um, and so the latest on stuff got too wet through June and July. Um, and it struggled through, and it's, um, it, it's got good potential, but the uh, flip-flop again in the season was that we didn't get any finishing rain in September. So, you know, it was a real um, on-again, off-again, on-again, off-again, Type of season and now the rain's on again when we don't want it. And if, you know, if it had to just if we could just control the rain when we wanted it, it'd be perfect.
8: <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be everyone's dream? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you can't harvest today. Obviously, looking out into the paddocks, it is incredibly wet. What are you doing while you wait for the rain to stop?
5: Uh, well, the sheep don't uh, stop requ- their requirements for feed intake, and when it's wet and raining, they um, struggle to find feed. So, we'll move um, livestock around onto freshly harvested um, paddocks that um, they can get some fresh food out of um, and maintenance is always something you, t- you try to catch up with it when you um, have downtimes, whether it be you know um, harvest bands or or rain so we'll catch up on maintenance and have everything ready to go for when it does fine up um, and rest and R&R is always a good thing to catch up on when you've been going for two or three weeks you know 16 18 hours a day so yeah you try and catch up on some rest as well and freshen up, ready to get going when the sun shines.
2: South Stirling's farmer, Mark Adams, talking to Sophie Johnson just a short while ago. 13 to 1. Well, a frost event a few weeks ago has caused hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage to wine grapes in parts of Western Australia's Great Southern Region. Elkumi Wines grows grapes at Franklin River, about 330 kilometres southeast of Perth. Vineyard manager Tim Peniment says it looks like about a quarter of their grapes have been ruined.
9: It was pretty close to the same date as it happened about four years ago. Very similar problems, less than two degrees, almost from midnight, which is the worst case scenario for frost this time of year. And unfortunately, it was it was a pretty good start to the growing season. Everything was, was looking pretty good, uh, plenty of water in the dams. And um, yeah, <laughs> worst case scenario, just about frost.
10: Take me back to around three weeks ago, what actually happened?
9: Uh, so we got the first alerts from temperature sensors at about... 11 saying temperature was already below three degrees. Franklin River's pretty known for very, very cold nights and a clear night, no wind, good conditions for frost, unfortunately. Worst blocks got down to about negative one, one and a half. One side of the property, thankfully, was fairly untouched, but a lot of the oldest parts of the vineyard were in the coldest sections and freezing temperatures for seven, eight hours meant that we pretty much lost all the fruit on those blocks.
10: How much do you think you've lost altogether?
9: Still finding pockets of damage, but it's looking like 20 to 25% of the fruit. Last time we had a very, very severe frost, we had to go and purchase some extra fruit just to make it through the whole vintage to make sure we had stock on shelf. Uh, thankfully, we won't have to do that this time, but it does limit. We have lost significant portions of some of the oldest blocks, sort of 50-year-old vines that potentially will knock us for fruit volume next year as well.
10: Do you know how much this frost damage is going to cost our kumi?
9: We can put some estimates on it, but if, it, if it's sort of the higher end of that scale, it, it could be a million dollars out of our pocket, unfortunately.
10: You can't insure for frost damage, can you?
9: No, not, not to a viable point. We've tried getting insurance for a little bit of frost and potentially hail as well. But the randomness of the event. So like we've had a we've had a hail this year, but it just didn't leave any lasting damage, so it wasn't worth making a claim for. So it's between fire, frost and hail, it's um it's just too expensive to be viable. We've run the vineyard management a lot different since last frost, trying to keep grasses down, especially under vine as well. But it doesn't seem like it made a difference this year. It was just too cold.
10: Can you turn frost affected grapes into anything?
9: No, so this time of year they're going through flowering. And over the course of about seven to 10 days, pretty much all the little flowers just, just dry up and die, basically, and fall off.
10: How widespread was the frost? Was there much damage around you or to the region?
9: Yeah, it looks like some of the other growers are affected uh, sort of a similar way to us. Um, thankfully, it's not as widespread as last time. It's more sort of isolated to pockets. And then it just depends for the other growers as well, the quality and which varieties are affected. Each Every variety in the frost zones were all affected but it's just a matter of if that was your your premium blocks or something that potentially you can afford to lose
10: going forward you've got harvest coming up next year in march what are you anticipating for that now
9: the blocks that have been frosted you almost hope are a complete write-offs because otherwise you tend to get very uneven ripening that tends to make slightly lower quality in those blocks so potentially some of them may not be worth keeping In another week or so, we'll be through flowering and a lot of those blocks will have more of an idea of how much has remained. And potentially we might go through and just drop fruit out early and just try and grow a healthy canopy for proper pruning material for next year. It almost all comes down to money. Um, We could potentially look to install more of the frost sprinklers, um, but water is quite restrictive in Franklin River. So whether or not we have enough water to run that system as much as we can, Otherwise, we may may have to go back to some bad dirt, uh, which we don't really want to do.
2: Tim Pennamont, he's the vineyard manager at Alkumi, and he was speaking to Kate Forrester. Nine minutes to one here on the Country Hour, just before the news at one. It's off to Mushe again today to get the results of today's sheep market. And it's going to be Terry Birkin going through the yarding and the prices for you. First, though, live export company Emanuel's is in the Perth Magistrates Court today facing charges of animal cruelty. Now, this is over the much-publicised event back in 2017 when approximately 2,500 sheep suffered and died on board the Awasi Express which was on its way to the Middle East. At the time, Emmanuel was Australia's largest live sheep exporting company. The ABC Newsroom's David Weber has been inside the courtroom. What's the outcome, David?
1: Well, Belinda, it was a fairly brief hearing. Uh, the defendants were represented by their own counsel, and Paul Jovich SC, was representing the Department of Primary Industries and simply said it wasn't in the public interest to proceed with the prosecution, prosecutions against all three defendants. Uh, Mr Stanton and Mr Dawes were not uh, in the courtroom, and essentially that's it. Uh Emmanuel exports lawyer said they're not going to seek costs. And uh, it's over. Uh, not in the public interest is, is all we've been told. And in fact, counsel outside of court wouldn't say any more than that. Uh, there was somebody representing uh, one of the defendants who said there were a multitude of reasons, but he wouldn't say what they were.
2: Right. So no more detail than it's not in the public interest. Who exactly dropped the case, David?
1: Well, the Department of Primary Industries. So it was, uh, it was Paul Jovich on their behalf just said it's not in the public interest to to proceed.
2: And is there any idea why it's taken this long to go to court? It's been going for many years now.
1: No, there was, well, we actually had it down in December for a trial listing hearing, but we also heard the trial was meant to start on November the 20th. Uh, We had some insight in that some uh, submissions had been received from the defendants in late October, uh, but we weren't told what those submissions said. Uh, There were some protesters outside, two groups, one called Stop Live Exports, another one called Stand Against Animal Live Exports, although I guess their aims are common, and uh, they slammed the decision and said that uh, it shows that the industry can't be regulated. It was put to them that this was some years ago, and there have been changes brought in since then, and the mortality rates haven't been as high, but they just simply said... um, it can't be regulated and they want the, uh, the trade to stop immediately.
2: And there wasn't any uh, direct representatives from the company there or have you heard any reaction, response from the news today? Yeah,
1: yeah there were lawyers for all three defendants there. So Emmanuel Exports, uh, Michael Sanson and Graham Dawes, but they wouldn't speak outside that. Well, as I, one of them said that there were a multitude of reasons why uh, the charges were dropped, but the others wouldn't say anything at all. So, so no, we've had no uh, reaction from the company.
2: All right, and just repeat the news today, David, if someone's just joining us, the outcome of this court case today.
1: Yeah, so the charges, the animal cruelty charges stemming from the Awasi Express, uh, was more than 2,000 animals, up to 2,500 uh, super died uh, on that trip in 2017 out of Fremantle, and uh, charges were laid in, in 2019. Uh, those charges against Emmanuel Exports, Graham Dawes, and Michael Anthony Stanson were formally dropped in the Magistrates Court today.
2: Very good, and uh, thank you for reporting into the country. I really appreciate that, Dave. David Weber from the ABC Newsroom and just reporting, uh, walking out of the court to bring you that news today. Five to one here on the Country Hour. And I should just mention too, the National Farmers Federation is running a live sheep trade awareness campaign in Western Australia this week, and it's called Keep Farmers Farming. The NFF is running advertisements in print, digital and outdoor in Perth and they feature a sheep farmer from Borden in WA's Great Southern. The National Farmers Federation President David Johinki says the advertising is designed to highlight farmers' fears about a phase-out of live sheep exports. He says the NFF feels it's critical voters in battleground seats like Swan, Tangney and Hasluck understand what a ban would mean for jobs and small farming communities. Four minutes to one.
8: Hello, I'm Stephanie Smale. Join me for the world today. Rental crisis. 1.3 million households struggling to keep a roof over their heads, with Australian
2: rental affordability at an all-time low. Optus fallout, the telco's blaming a routine software outage for its unprecedented network crash. But how will that sit with customers? And music to our ears, the 80s slip-slop-slap ad jingle, one of this year's Sounds of Australia picks. And it's four minutes to one. To the market now, and about 5,000 sheep sold at the Muche sale yard this morning, and about 2,000 of those were lambs. Terry Birkin's been there keeping an eye on proceedings. Hello, Terry, can you run through the prices?
11: Hi, Belinda. There are reduced volumes of both sheep and lambs this week. Lambs were mostly air freight and store weights with around 300 presenting weight and finish. However, the lamb market lifted today across most categories. Sheep values remain firm, with slight gains in some lots, mainly due to weight and fleece. The usual buying group were present, but still not all are are operating at this point in time. Store lambs were up to $8 to $10, selling from $14 to six dollars while light lambs were selling from $45 to $86, gaining $10 to $15 a head. Trade lambs lifted $10 to $12, selling from $80 to $125, to average $555 per kilo carcass weight. And heavy lambs also up to realise $138 to average $552 cents a kilo carcass weight. The best ram lambs sold to $100, and ram Hoggets sold to a top of $89 a head. Merino weathers were making $20 to $45, while Merino ewe hoggets returned $14 to $35, and crossbred hoggets sold to a top of $50 a head. Boner ewe started as low as 50 cents up to $23. Many mews were selling from $20 to $35 and heavy years up to $52 with a heavy fleece. Several buyers were competitive only on small lots of Dorper rams, selling up to $89, with young Merino uh, rams making $58, and mature rams ranged from $10 to $40 a head. This has been Terry Birkin for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service.
2: Terry, thank you for going through those details. Tomorrow, calling in to Katanning. To go through the results of the Katanning sheep market around about this time here on the Country Hour. Now, earlier in the hour, and our lead story today talking about some concerns that have been raised with a particular variety of canola. It is the Garrison variety, uh, the Pacific Seeds Garrison canola variety. And you heard from John Snook, who farms just southwest of Cunderdon, uh, telling you how it's underperformed this season. At his place, it's recorded a 21% mortality rate. He says that is unacceptable and he wants compensation for it. He does say Pacific Seeds did offer a refund for the cost of the seeds, so that would be around about $21,000 in John's case. But John Snook's saying that is not good enough and he wants the company to recognise and compensate for the loss of potential canola production which in his case adds up to around $73,000. There was a response from the company, uh, wouldn't do an interview here on the Country Hour today, but Andrew Short, who is Advanta Seeds Managing Director, says Pacific Seeds have a well-defined process for addressing product complaints. We value our customers and take all complaints seriously. We're committed to working with individual growers to resolve any complaints and to ensure our relationships with them remain strong." Uh, This on the text, had Garrison XC Canola in this year, have had good feedback from Pacific Seeds, was evaluated at 15 to 20% loss, crop compensation and still yielded well given the season. Regiment XC Next Door had similar issues at 10% loss from Roundup spray and yielded well. Pacific Seeds have been in contact since spraying through until now. Thank you for all your text today on the ABC. Time for the news, one o'clock.